0: Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself,
1: The days of mourning for my father are approaching, and I will kill my brother Jacob.
0: But the words of Esau her older son were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while, until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite woman. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. Arise, go to Badanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply. That you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there and that as he blessed him, he directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother, and gone to Padanaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth.
1: Hello and good morning. My name is Stephen and it's wonderful to be able to speak to you today, Uh, particularly if you are at the Villas in Hove or Oasis in Hangleton or over the far west at Shoreham uh, Centre. Great to have you with us today as we continue in our Promise Endures series. And I've got some really good news uh, for you today, which is hopefully going to add to your already brilliant morning and brilliant service. Uh, That's going to bless your day, bless your week, maybe even bless your life as well. Uh, But before we get to that good news, I've got some bad news for you first. I don't know whether you've ever some said to you, um, do you want the good news first or the bad news first? I'm one of those people who wants the bad news first. just just sock it to me. Just let just tell me where it's at. Partly because it makes the good news better. If you had something, if you had a low, then suddenly the higher seems high, doesn't it? So good news, bad news first, and then good news. Well, that's how this message is gonna go. We're gonna go into some bad news, some dark news but it's going to get good. So hold on. Let me encourage you. If it feels like we're sinking in our seats, don't worry. The good news is coming. Or maybe you've heard the old adage, it's darkest before the dawn. Well, there is a great dawn coming about Jesus and his grace and his great love and mercy for us. Uh, but we've got to go to the dark place first. Before we hear the good news, the gospel, we've got to also face the bad news as well. And uh, I've been reflecting on the song, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, probably the most famous hymn, in fact, and the second verse says this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear.'" Have you ever sung that and wondered what that means? "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear.'" It's basically saying, it was grace that showed me that I was in great need in my sin before a holy, awesome God. That it was right for us to fear God in his holiness and his awesomeness and to fear our sin and its consequences in our life. The next line says, and grace, my fears relieved. So, yes, first of all, we do need our hearts, our lives to see our sin as it is. That's what grace does. It shows us the seriousness of it. But in turn, it turns and says, but it can be relieved because of Jesus. The good news is so much better by the comparison when we consider how bad our sin. And when I say sin, I mean everything wrong we've ever thought, said or done, that is wrong. And we're going to have a look at this from this story that we've been tracking with over the last few weeks. A family of dysfunction. And uh, you you look at them thinking, is this a Christian family? Is this how it's meant to be? Not at all. If anything, lots about this family is what not to do. And uh, last week, we looked at the four characters, Rebecca, Isaac, uh, Jacob and Esau, and the four different ways in which they messed up and sinned. And today, we're going to look further into that mess and uh, get darker, as it were, before the dawn actually comes and uh, see that there is all kinds of fallout, all kinds of mess and consequence as a result of what they have done. Why is that relevant for us? Well, it's because we also sin. We also get things wrong, don't we? We make all kinds of mess ups and uh, there is fallout and consequence in our own lives. And uh, the Bible says that if you don't know that, then you are lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself into thinking you are not a sinner who does wrong. Maybe you're saying, I think that's not really relevant to me. The Bible says, if that's you, you're lying to yourself. All of us get things wrong. We get things wrong daily and therefore we need to know how to deal with it, don't we? Each day we have the opportunity to bring goodness into the world. Isn't that wonderful? God loves to reward those who do good. But so often we choose what is wrong and there are consequences. We need to be serious and sober and think rightly about these things. And so we're going to do that today. So to do that, we are going to get back into the story. So let me recap uh, where we're at. So previously on The Promise Endures, uh, we've got Isaac and Rebecca, this married couple, and they have had twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And uh, Isaac and Rebecca—they this, do this terrible thing that we've seen time and time again in Genesis, where they have their favourites. Having favourite children does not work, as the Bible would describe here. It shows time and time again that's not the right way to run your family. Uh, Isaac—he loved Esau, his firstborn. Rebecca preferred her younger son, Jacob. And uh, Esau, as the oldest son, in their uh, time and tradition, was the one who's to receive the blessing as the firstborn from the father. And uh, there's one day where Isaac says to Esau, Right, today's the day. I'm going to pronounce my blessing upon you. Go and get me some food. And uh, Rebecca, who prefers the other son, decides to start scheming and manipulates the situation and dresses her son up as if he is Esau so that he can sneak in there, deceive his father, blasphemes against God, and receives the blessing instead. Jacob gets the blessing and Esau is devastated, devastated by what's happened here. And so as a result, the family gets very messy. All kinds of consequences happen and we're going to get into those. But here's a question first. Because Jacob received the blessing, uh, you know, by deceiving his brother. But in one sense, is that really wrong? Because Jacob was the one who was meant to receive the blessing according to God. God had kind of said earlier on that Jacob was the one who's to be blessed. It's through him that God was going to work things out. So surely it can't have been that bad to have done the wrong, to do, get the right outcome. But actually the Bible is very clear. Doing wrong things for a right out- outcome is still wrong. The means, the ends do not justify the means. Romans 3.8 says very clearly that people who act in such a way should be Condemned just trying to reach the right outcome but doing it the wrong way is still wrong, it's still evil and it is still sin. And reality is we're all tempted to do this in various ways. There's lots of good things in the world that God has given us to pursue but we are to pursue them in a right and godly way. Often the one we consider is uh, people, relationships, maybe as spouse or maybe just sexual intimacy, intimacy itself. Both are things from God. God created sex. God created marriage. Things for us to enjoy. But particularly as believers, there's a way that we're meant to go about that. A way that God has designed for that to happen. And so often people shortcut, shortcut that. In a desire to have a spouse, they choose the wrong spouse. Someone who's not suitable. Someone who doesn't have the same beliefs and convictions about the person of Jesus and the gospel. Sometimes it can be we want money in the bank. Again, something that's not wrong. It's not wrong to want possessions, um, but so often we go about it, or some people go about it by cheating on taxes or through workaholism. We often talk about that as a sin, but kind of sacrificing everything on the altar, just working, put as many hours in as we can, get further up the ladder, get that promotion, get that money, get that paycheck. Or maybe it's more obvious ways like gambling. So having money, being able to buy things can turn into an idol. So maybe it's just the comfort of having financial uh, freedom or having financial wealth. Maybe it's comfort. Again, comfort isn't itself wrong, but it is when we find it in the wrong places. Maybe through pornography. Maybe through overeating or over-drinking. Maybe through just mind-numbing social media and TV watching. Again, lots of things aren't necessarily wrong, but when they're done to a level where it expresses a sense of not finding our trust or our comfort in God. All good things were tempting to get them in the wrong way. Act of not trusting in God. This is what Jacob and Rebecca did. They went about getting the blessing for Jacob in the wrong way. Through deceit, through manipulation and through blasphemy against God. And As a result, there is fallout because of it. If they had trusted God, God would have brought it about another way, in a good way. In fact, we know that because 20 chapters later, a very similar story happens or a similar kind of situation happens where Jacob this time is an old man. He's the one who's to give out the blessing and his grandsons are brought before him. And his son, Joseph said, please place your hands and bless them. Put your right hand on my older son and give him the larger blessing. Put your left hand on my younger son that he might receive the lesser blessing. And just as Jacob's about to pray a blessing over his grandsons, what does he do? He just swaps his hands. He feels like God's telling him, no, no, this one's meant to receive the larger blessing. And what does he do? He just swaps his hands over. He doesn't dress up, he doesn't deceive, he doesn't blaspheme against God, he doesn't blow the family apart, he just swaps his hands. God is well able to do the things and give us the things we need in our lives without us sinning and doing what is wrong. Because when we get things wrong, it's an offence against God and also we feel the splash of those consequences too. So we're now going to look at four consequences that we find in this passage and they all begin with the letter D. You're welcome. Okay, the first one is death. Man, it's getting dark. Death. Okay. Esau, in his foolishness, let his birthright go. We see earlier, earlier chapters, that just for a bowl of soup, he let his birthright go to Jacob. Because you can have it. He doesn't really understand the full extent of what he's being offered. And he just lets it go kind of very freely. He doesn't realize what is lost until it's gone, uh, as Joni Mitchell would tell us. And, uh, and, and in one sense, he doesn't deserve a whole lot of sympathy. But in reality, he is still the victim of his brother's deceit. He has been betrayed. So I have a little bit of sympathy for him at least. He is greatly anguished. It says in uh, uh, the earlier chapter, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. It says he lifted up his voice and wept. Esau is hurting and hurting bad. He didn't care about the blessing, but now he realizes that he's missing it and missing it with great anguish. He's hurt. He's really hurting. What does he do with his hurt? What should he do with his hurt? Well, the Bible tells us with our hurt, when we're hurt by people, what do we need to do? We need to forgive. Forgiveness is not easy. Not easy at all. And forgiveness is not saying it's okay. It was not okay what Jacob did. But forgiveness brings us in line with the way that God wants us to live. Giving justice and judgment over to God. Knowing that all of us fall short and need God's forgiveness, therefore we're to be those who give it away as well. That is not what Esau does though. Instead, he takes what is hurt his his hurt and he begins to harbour a grudge. It says literally that Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And as a result, he starts off being a victim. He then becomes a perpetrator of sin. A victim of sin. He was a victim of sin, but he suddenly becomes a perpetrator of sin. He nurses this bitterness. Instead of pulling up the weed, instead of letting God come and minister to uh, the, the hurt that was in his life, he lets this, these weeds kind of spread in his life and in his heart. And then he eventually says this. He sort of says to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Death is brought into the mix. Where it was pain, where it was hurt, it's been left and it has grown into something far more ugly. It's turned into murderous intent. Esau wants to kill his very own brother. Bitterness left unchecked will do this. It'll turn into murderous thoughts. Have you ever been hurt by someone? genuinely pained and you've just turned it over in your mind, turned it over in your heart again and again. It's just got worse and deeper and darker. Maybe you've not thought, I'm going to kill them, but you may be able to harbour hate and anger towards them. Well, Jesus tells us that when we do that, it's the same as murder. When we hate someone in our heart, it's like being murderous towards them. It brings death into the situation. Of course, we have sympathy for people when they get hurt by other people. But we've all observed people where they've let that hurt fester and fester to the point where they then become ugly themselves. They become ugly in their sin. I was dealing with a, a married couple. So, a couple used to be married, rather. And uh, the, uh, the husband had cheated on the wife, uh, infidelity. And uh, then eventually ended up marrying the person he cheated on with. And uh, they were married for 30 years when I begun to know them. And I uh, got to know the spouse who was cheated on as well. And for that family, the spouse who was cheated on was really difficult to be around. The couple had been married 15 years, divorced and separated for 30 years, double the time. But she was still wrapped up in the infidelity and the hurt done against her. And to the point where she was quite a difficult person to be around. She was difficult in the family, very cutting and, and just, yeah, just a difficult person. And in one sense, there's a lot of sympathy. She has been cheated on. She has been the victim. But because she wasn't able to deal with it, actually she ended up being the one who was often sinning against other members of the family, untrusting and ugly in the way she conducted herself. Of course we have sympathy, but the, what can happen is the consequence of the sin against us if left unchecked, not dealt with, can, can turn into other sin. Sin begets sin. Jesus helps us by seeing this, saying that our unforgiveness is not good. It's not good in terms of relationship with God, but it's not good for ourselves as well. The consequences are not good, and it brings death and disease. A bit like a grenade that gets thrown, when it blows up, it goes everywhere. We sometimes think, "Oh, it's just my sin." No, no. When you sin, it goes everywhere, and you can't contain it in that way. And we need God's help to forgive, to clear up that kind of mess. You've been looking at uh, the story of Adam and Eve right at the beginning of Genesis. Adam and Eve—they sin. They get it wrong. Big time. Sin against God. What does it bring? It brings a curse into the world. It brings death into the world. Ultimately, the consequence of all our sin is death. All of us, because of the way that we think and live and act and speak, all of us deserve to die. And all of us actually have a sentence over our life. It's only when we come to Christ and through his death we can know that there is life beyond the grave for us. It's not an eternal death, but actually there's life for us on the other side as well. But we'll come back to that as we come to the good news properly in a few moments. So the first one is death. The second one is difficulty. As a result of Jacob's deceit, he creates difficulty for himself. In one sense, he's got the blessing from his, from, um, his father. He's going to live in the good. God's going to work through his life, as we will see in the coming chapters. But it's now blessing that's mixed in with difficulty, with all kinds of trauma and strife. He's got the promise, but he's got difficulty mixed in with it. First of all, he has to lead the land that it was meant to be part of, part of the blessing, part of the enduring promise that God has spoken to his family that they would live in this particular land, a land flowing with milk and honey. A land where Isaac had grown lots of crops and had flocks and was becoming very wealthy. Suddenly his son having to flee from that place. Go because of a threat upon his life. He's got to go on a long journey up by a camel, 500 plus miles away. Go to a place that he doesn't know. A place, as we will find out, he get, ends up getting taken advantage of and uh, tricked himself. A trickster ends up getting tricked. And he lives in fear for his life. He's living in fear of Esau. Even 20 years later, when he returns, he is scared of what Esau will do to him. Sometimes we can kid ourselves that our sin is not really a big deal. Not realizing the offense that is against God, but also the difficulty and the stress it brings into our own lives. I'm many years now into pastoral ministry, talk to people about all kinds of things that go on in their lives. And I often deal with young men, middle-aged men, old men, who've been into pornography. And just for a little little thing, done quietly, no one sees, is it really going to affect anyone? But yet it does. It wraps them up, causes all kinds of dis-ease in their own hearts, causes strife within their relationships, becomes an addiction they can't break. They thought it was nothing, but no, it's difficulty. Even though they got no God's forgiveness and blessing, they're still reaping the consequences of having sown sin into their life over years. I know other people who have just spent their whole life telling lies, that even when they get saved and come to Jesus, it's quite hard to stop telling lies, stop coming, kind of having a, a false face on the whole time. Well, of me, my own self, uh, one of my kind of things that I really struggled with as a young man was just being rebellious. I was so anti-authority, so fiercely independent. Now, when I came to God, I wanted to lead others and have the privilege of doing that, but I also wanted to just be able to submit and be well led by God and by others. But it's tough. Because I'd spent so many years of just having this so, so kind of anti-establishment mentality. And, and no one will tell me what to do. It took me a long time to be able to calm and freely and at ease submit happily to the authority, uh, authorities that God put in my life. Because that's the consequences of years of living differently. And sometimes God's very kind to us and he breaks us out of the difficulty and the consequences of our sin. But sometimes those things do follow us. And we need to keep praying for God's help and freedom with that. Again, we'll come to that in a few moments. So we've had death. We've had difficulty. The third one is delay. Can you thwart God's purposes for your life? That's maybe a good question for us to ask. Well, the answer is not ultimately. And it's definitely worth us maybe digging, digging into more fully another time. But God will accomplish what he sets out to do. That's what Bible says. God will do the things he has chosen to do. And nothing can thwart those purposes. And he had chosen Jacob. And... Uh, And chosen to bless him and through him bless others as well. But the things that he had done, his deceit had caused difficulty, but it's also caused delay in living in the good of the blessing that God wanted to do for Jacob. He had to wait for a long time to live in the blessing of the things that God had promised him. What happens is we see here, uh, Rebecca says to him, Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran, stay with him for a while. Until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. You know, that word, little, just two little words. Just go for a while. Do you know how long Jacob had to go for? He had to go for 20 long years. 20 long years away from the place that he should have been. From the blessing that he should have lived in. He should have been living with his family in the land that God promised and begun to prosper and flourish there. He didn't. He got sent away for 20 years. I would like to say I am pretty good at getting from one side to brighton the other, knowing the, the routes that are the shortest. I'm quite good at shortcuts, but occasionally I don't get it right. In fact, probably more than occasionally, but often I don't like sitting in traffic. And so in my impatience, I often try and find another way around. And even when Google Maps tells me it's not going to be quicker, I, in my arrogance, think I can do it. And quite a few times, I've ended up having to turn back around and end up joining the same queue of traffic I was in to start with, but further back down the line. It's a bit like that. Jacob and Rebecca, they've taken a shortcut to get the blessing. And what's end up having? is like, well, they have got the blessing, but there is massive delay now involved in it. We can think that we can ignore our sin, the difficulties in our life. Just bump through that. It's okay to sin. It's okay to take this shortcut, not realizing actually that mess is going to lead to further delay. In reality, sin holds us back and trips us up and causes delay. It says in Hebrews 12, 1, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's okay, this picture of races that I talked about a couple of weeks ago about the race that God's given us to run you know it's hard to run a race when you're weighed down by things or you're entangled with things so this passage kind of says well you know if you're weighed down by sin and its consequences and entangled with it it's much harder to run the race that God's given us you're gonna go slower you ever seen the Brighton Marathon or the London Marathon people dressed in these big costumes so one year I saw someone with a big rhino I think it was at the London Marathon you know running for saving rhinos and you know He made the marathon, he made it the whole way, but did he go slow? Yes, he did. Was he massively delayed because of it? Yes, he was. The mess of our relationships that's caused by sin, the consequences, uh, maybe it's with our finances, whatever it is, that end up slowing down the purposes of God and our life, the blessing of God into life. I'm currently dealing with at least a couple of situations where sin, either unrepented or yet resolved, is causing delay on all kinds of fronts, people just aren't able to move forward, not just with those particular relationships, but with just other things because those things are so all-consuming. Our sin, it causes difficulty, it causes death, it causes delay. The last one, it causes, here, I'll give you two Ds, disintegration and distance, particularly in relationships. This dysfunctional family is now facing disintegration and relational as well as geographical distance. We don't know exactly what it did to Rebecca and Isaac's marriage. Isaac said shook violently when he realized what had happened, that he'd been deceived. Who knows what that did to their marriage? we realised his wife was right in the mix of it doing that to him. Was, she ever able, was he able, ever, ever able to trust her again? How is the intimacy left after that? We do know that the brothers, well, at least Esau hated Jacob with a passion enough to kill him. And Jacob has to flee, go, go to a place a long way away, And uh, we see from the passage that that Jacob and his mum seem to have a special relationship. Yes, he's her favorite. And there's something about mother and son and and the love they have for one another. But suddenly they're separated. And they might not know at the time, but they were then separated for the rest of their lives. When Jacob comes back, as far as we can tell from the passage, Rebecca at this point is dead. He never sees his mum again. This this, uh, son that she'd so cherished and wanted to have a blessing, wanted to maybe do life with, there's some reason why she loved him so much. Actually, she never saw him again. Distance was put between them. By grabbing at something, the close relationship is actually lost. When we sin, we ruin our relationships with other people. Even with uh, Jacob and Esau, they eventually come back to one another. We'll find that out. He gets to see his father again as well. So the horizontal relationships are broken. Distance is put in. They do come back together, but the distance is there to start with, and it's not good. That's what sin does. Sin doesn't just affect us. It never just affects us. It affects those around us as well. And more importantly, it affects our relationship with God as well. There's a horizontal impact. There's also a vertical one. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that comes and uh, lives alongside us as our comforter. And uh, the Bible says that we can quench the Spirit. That means we can extinguish the Spirit's work in our life. When we are sinning, Suddenly we put distance between God because God doesn't want to work in a life that's full of sin. He wants us to be those who are repentant, who are seeking holiness. Also says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can upset, we can offend the Spirit. It says this in Ephesians, by bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander and every form of malice. Elsewhere it describes the uh, Holy Spirit like a dove, just a, a bird that's kind of sensitive. I once heard Artie Kendall, a very famous preacher, speaking about a family he knew who had some doves come and make nests in the eaves of their house. And uh, when they would argue or raise their voices or slam doors, what would happen? The doves would fly away. And uh, they felt like God spoke to them about that and about their conduct towards one another. And that when they're angry with one another, when they're not being godly, what happens is the doves leave. And actually, that's a symbol that the Holy Spirit leaves. And obviously, we can never leave God's presence ultimately. But in terms of his felt relational closeness, that often goes when we sin. When we get things wrong, that's a consequence. There's distance between us and other people, but there's distance between us and God. Maybe right now you're feeling a certain coolness towards God or from God. May I suggest it's maybe because it's of unrepentant sin, things that need to be dealt with. It's not always, but that can be a real cause of it. So how do we deal with sin? How do we deal with its consequences? Do we try harder? Do not sin? Do we try and be good? Can we make up for it? Well, Esau certainly tries. We see in the passage uh, that uh, Esau had been a bit offensive in the way he'd gone about some things in his life. He'd gone and married two women uh, locally, uh, which brought great distress to Rebecca and Isaac because they knew that they didn't want their sons to marry local women. Not because they were racist necessarily, although the language is pretty fruity in this passage, but because they wanted their sons to marry women who are of the same uh, mindset when it came to God and the promises that God has spoken to them. And they were concerned that if their sons married people who didn't, that they would be drawn away from the living God and worshipping him properly. And so he'd got married to two, not just one, but two women from another tribe. And when he sees that Jacob is sent away to go and find a wife from the right place, he thinks, oh, maybe I can make things right. I've got these two kind of wrong wives. I know what, I'll go and get a right wife. And so he adds to it. So he's got funny three wives. Let me just be clear. The Bible does not think multiple wives, multiple spouses is a good thing. Again, this is another descriptor of people being sinful and getting things wrong. So he gets multiple wives. That's wrong in itself. And he misfires anyway. He tries to get the right wife, but even she isn't quite right because he doesn't understand where the blessing is coming from and how it's meant to flow and the person he's meant to marry. If anything, it demonstrates what Isaiah says. Now, all our efforts are filthy rags. Esau makes efforts to sort out his own sin and unrighteousness by kind of trying his own efforts. The Bible says our own efforts to be righteous, they're like filthy rags. On a Sunday lunch, um, after this message, I will be going home to have my roast chicken, which we basically have every single Sunday. And my wife makes the most superb gravy. And my wife reminds me every single Sunday. Stephen, you might want to change your shirt because uh, I'm not wearing something nice for, for church. And so I changed my shirt because, invariably, I will spill my wife's gravy down my top. I'm a spiller. That's the way it is. And uh, but so it's a bit like getting a bit of gravy on your top and thinking, oh, how shall I clean that up? And the bar says it's like taking a rag and dipping it in old engine oil and trying to clean it up. That's what our finest efforts, our finest efforts of kind of cleaning ourselves up actually then make it work, make it worse. It's trying to do God's job for him, which is again, more offensive to God. There's only one way to receive forgiveness for things we've done wrong. And that is through Jesus. By his grace and by his mercy alone. There is only one way. It is through him and through him alone. You can't make it right on the cosmic scales. It's not you've got it wrong and you can try and make up for it by doing right. That doesn't how it works. That's not how it works. Your offense to God is so deep, and any ability to try and make it right actually just puts more things on that side. But God is rich in love. He is rich in mercy. And he had a plan to save this dysfunctional family. And he has a plan to save us in our dysfunction, in our distress as well. God is not put off by things that are going on in this story. His enduring promise remains. He is committed to blessing this family. Committed to blessing the nations through them. Committed to blessing people right down through history, through this family line. How do we know that? We know that because when Jesus came, it gives us a family tree. Who's in his family? These people, these scoundrel, scound- scandalous people, these scoundrels are in his family line, along with lots of other people. Prostitutes and uh, adulterers, all ki- murderers, all kinds of people appear in Jesus' line. He, in one sense, is happy to be associated with them. He's making a point. He's saying that he has come for people just like this, for people just like me, for people just like you. He was happy to associate with these people as his ancestors. When we see Jesus' life on the earth, who is he associated with? With prostitutes, with drunkards, with those who people cheated with their money. He's kind of uh, mocked for it, accused of being being one of them because he was so close to them. He comes close to people who sin. He's happy to be associated with it. If if he's happy to be associated with a family tree of them, with his earthly life with them, then we know he's also happily associated with people like us his descendants, as it were, who come out of it. People like me and you who have sin With his church, his church, which is far from perfect, the church that he, he, he takes as his very own bride, has all kinds of spots and wrinkles and blemishes. Hopefully you love Emmanuel. I certainly do, but it's not without spots or wrinkles or blemish. But our hope is that Jesus loves this church. He loves each one of us as well. He's committed to us, loves us as we are, He's also committed to making us more like himself too. In his grace, he lovingly saves us and forgives us from our sins. When he came to the cross, he came to die for the wrong that we have done. Shed his blood for you and me. That we might know that all that sin, all that grime, all that shame can be washed clean because of him. If you're a Christian, bring your sin again to him this week. No, he loves to wash it clean. If you've never known that, today is a day of salvation for you. Come and just say, God, let me receive your forgiveness and mercy. I need you. That's all. It's as simple as that. And he comes and he does that. But what about these consequences of sin? What do we do with them? You know what? We bring them to Jesus as well. Where there is death, where there is murderous thoughts, Jesus can come and bring life. He can bring forgiveness. He can bring love. He can change a heart around been meditating recently on jesus and uh, peter's denial where peter denials denies jesus and just seeing once again that jesus and peter uh, rather, jesus is in earshot of peter's denials and jesus is denying whether he even knows jesus jesus can hear him and when the rooster crows he turns and sees them they lock eyes and the shame on peter what has he done but what happens jesus comes and restores peter comes and reminds him of his love and commissions him to go again. Jesus is so merciful. Where there is difficulty right now, God continues to bring blessing. I love in this passage, right nestled in the midst of all these consequences, this is still declared over Jacob. It says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Jacob goes on this terrible journey, all kinds of difficulty, but you know what, the blessing is still there. He does come back, and when Jacob comes back to the land that he was promised, well, one, he gets to come back, which is wonderful. He does get to see his father again, gets to see his brother. He's reunited with his brother. He also comes back, the whole company of people with children and more wives, unfortunately, not just one, uh, and and a whole whole household of wealth as well. There's still blessing even in the difficulty. And where there's delay, where maybe you have wasted years getting things wrong or being held back by things. You know, the Bible says that God is able to give back the years that the locusts have eaten. And the wonderful thing is where there is distance between us and other people, God can help us bring reconciliation. And where there is distance between us and God, Jesus came to bridge that gap his very own arms outstretched on the cross, coming to reach out and grab us and bring bring us to himself. Let me encourage you, come to Jesus today. His wonderful cross means that we can know that our sin is forgiven. And where there are consequences we're living in, God can come and give us grace to live in them and often grace to believe them as well. Let's pray that God does that in your situation, whatever that is. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this story. It is dark and difficult and messy, uh, God, but our lives often are as well. I thank you that you're not put off by that, Lord, but you're attracted to it in, your, um, in the mystery of your love and the greatness of it, Lord God, that you would come to people like us, that we might be forgiven. You love this world so much. You sent your son that we might be forgiven, that we might come into a relationship with you. Where there was distance there, that, that distance has been uh, bridged by you, Jesus. I would say help us to live in the good of it. Help us to take our sin very seriously, Lord God, to put off even small trifling ones, uh, Lord God, that we might live in the fear and uh, the respect and the awe of you, Lord God, that we might not reap consequences uh, in the ways we might do if we didn't do so, Lord God. I pray for those who are listening. Right now, Lord God, would you just gently put your finger upon things in their life, Lord God, that they need to repent of, that they need to bring into the light, that they need to deal with, Lord God, that they might know your forgiveness, but also you might begin to help them come out of some of the consequences that they are living in, we pray. In your blessed name, Jesus. Amen.